Well, again, welcome, and we are in the midst of our Advent series, and if you've been following with us, I've been trying to stay with that Advent theme. Two weeks ago, we talked about the beauty, the power of the fact uh, that God, Emmanuel, is with us. Last week, I tried to talk about the importance of understanding that that gift was not meant to just be observed and celebrated. It was meant to be received so personally, you could say not only is God with us, but God is in us. This morning, I want to focus on the fact that this Advent, this Emmanuel, talks about the fact that not only is he with us and in us, he is for us. What does it mean that God is for us? So Christmas is a great time of celebration for that, but it's also a good time for getting gifts. Amen? We like getting gifts. In about two weeks, think about it, in a couple weeks, countless gifts are going to be exchanged, aren't they? Uh, beautiful wrappings. You know, as many of you have taken great detail in making sure that gift looks good. But in a few short weeks, those wrappings will be ripped open. And you're going to see a lot of smiles and maybe even some tears when you see, yes, this is, this is so cool, so exciting. There really isn't, think about it, there's nothing more rewarding for the giver than to know that that gift is truly appreciated, isn't it? When you give something to someone and they open it and they just want to hug you forever. Yeah, this is what it's all about. At the same time, there there is a pretty painful moment, isn't it? When you give a gift to someone and it's seemingly tossed aside. The person didn't seem to understand or appreciate the true meaning behind that gift and And therefore, they gave you that that token smile and said, thank you, I think, until you explained it, right? This happened one Christmas with our son when he was about 12 years old. He had been begging and begging, Bev and I, for a dog. I want a dog. I'll take care of it. And we kept coming up with reasons, not going to work, not going to work, not going to work. But we realized we're running out of reasons. (laughs) So at this particular Christmas, we wrapped up a simple dog bone with his name on it. (laughs) He quickly opened it. And with a smile, with, with that attempt to be respectful to his parents. And he said, thanks, and smiled at us like a dog bone. (laughs) Thanks, mom and dad, I think, until we explain further what that bone meant. Matt, you can have a dog. Merry Christmas. He went crazy. He got it and couldn't believe that we actually were going to let him have a dog. Christmas is a great time for us to understand that. When God, and the idea here is when God gives his gift to us, it comes with a guarantee. The gift of God's personal promise his personal promise comes with this gift that he will be forever for us my gift is a promise you don't have to hang on to it once in a while this gift will has my seal behind it forever i am for you let's look at these two passages that i've mentioned in the bulletin to give us a backdrop of how to unfold and understand the fact that God is for us. The first comes from Isaiah chapter 9. This is a very familiar passage that we read every Christmas about the coming Messiah. 
But I want to put its context in there for you as well. So here now God's word, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the later time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. And they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of the oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us... A child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And then in Romans 8, where Paul again talks about the work and the love of God. Listen to what he says. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? This is the word of the Lord. This Christmas gift of Jesus truly was like no other gift. Now more than ever, we at Christmas and as Christians, we need to understand just what it means that God is for us when we receive this blessed gift of his son. Don't be satisfied, friends, with appreciating that he's come to us and he's even in us, but let it lead you further to want to believe that he really is for us. I want to help us understand and appreciate, I think, the uniqueness and the power of this gift. And one of the dangers that comes from this Christmas annual celebration is that we get lost in the trappings sometimes, don't we? We get so caught up in the appearance and what we're preparing for. We almost take it for granted and lose sight of the fact that when we have Emmanuel, we have everything we need. And that the giver, he loves us so much that the gift itself contains everything of himself. He really is for us. So we're going to examine this gift based on these two passages. And I want to focus simply on two things to understand why God is for us. I want us to understand the true need for this gift. And the other is to appreciate the true help of this gift. The true need and the true help. 
You know, if you, if you, any of you, many of you have done this, but if you read through the Bible, even in a casual way, the need is pretty clear, isn't it? If you read the Bible, it's not a, a happy story every time you turn a page. There's a lot of pain there, a lot of confusion. The Bible can be, I think, can be a painful reading when it describes the condition of the world and everyone born into it. Think about it. Genesis chapters 1 and 2. The first two chapters of Genesis, they really are intriguing and they're even pleasant to read because you get a glimpse, just a glimpse, into what God had made. And even in that beautiful creation, we also see an exciting thing of how unique you and are, you and I are, who are made, as the Bible declares, you and I are made by God in the image of of God. Isn't that cool? (laughs) Kind of exciting that you as a created being had a unique identity that nothing else in all creation had. He made us in the image of God. That's so exciting. Those first two chapters really are pleasant. It's a perfect and pleasing world, isn't it? Until you get to chapter three. (laughs) We get two chapters into the Bible. Beautiful picture, chapter 3. That's the fall of our first parents. The fall of our first parents introduced not only the concept, but the reality of sin. No longer, think about it, no longer was the creator God the focus. But everything he made was centered now around us. Life is about us. Life is about me. My rights, my needs, my understanding was more important than his glory and his honor. Pride. Pride was now in many ways the central issue of life, not praise. Pride. What about me? What's in it for me? Not praise be to God for who he is and what he's made. And if you keep reading the Bible, the world seemed to grow increasingly darker with acts of sin, lying, hatred, and death at every turn. It can be a depressing book to read, but it's a real book about life. And this is on a personal level as well as the nations that are described. Even the individual people were messed up. The Decalogue, or the Ten Commandments that were given in the midst of this darkness. If you look at that account again, when God gave those Ten Commandments, that was a frightening and a formal reminder of God's holiness and just how deep we had fallen into sin. I would suggest to you, the more you look at those Ten Commandments the more you realize how messed up and broken you and I really are. You want to get a picture of how deep sin is? Look at them. Look at them again and look at them again. You will have no other gods before me. You will put nothing else in place but me. Right there, there is a great challenge 
And we see that the history, the history of this word that after two chapters went into dark brokenness and rebellion, the history didn't get any better until God broke into history personally. The event we call Christmas. Things look really dark and bleak until, until a child was born. The book of Isaiah, as we look at this chapter, we have to look at the whole context. The book of Isaiah is primarily a book about judgment. Isaiah didn't come and say, hey, I hope you're doing okay. Here, here, let me help you get a, a happier life. He saw what the people who professed to know God and love God, what they had done, how deep sin had penetrated. And God sent the prophets, and one was Isaiah. Listen again, the very opening of chapter 1 of, of, of Isaiah's prophecy. Listen to what he declares, what God says about his people. Listen and feel what God says. Hear, O heavens, give ear, O earth. For the Lord has spoken, children I have reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. Another of the numerous warnings throughout history that this holy God will not tolerate an unholy people, but he will bring them to judgment. And Isaiah, if you're familiar with the book of Isaiah, Isaiah himself would taste the depths of sin and the screaming need for help in his vision of the Lord in the temple. You remember that? What did he say when he saw the holiness of God? Woe is me. Woe is me. For I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. If I'm honest, I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell with a people of unclean lips. Oh, friends, the section we read in Isaiah 9, it is, as you saw, filled with great hope and promise. But again, that hope is based on a great need. Look again at verse 2. He starts by saying, the people who walked in darkness. Darkness is an image used in the Bible to often describe the condition and the effect of sin. It's not just that you and I have done bad things and we've got to stop doing that. There's a depth of sin that is dark in our soul. And I think you'll never really appreciate the gift of the light of Jesus unless you understand the reality of your own, your own darkness. This baby Jesus didn't come to die for the confused or the innocent to help make the world better. He didn't. He came to die for you and me who were so dark that we don't even know it sometimes. We're so lost. We're so blind that we think we're, okay, this is messed up. No, you, it's darker than you realize. Jesus came to die for those people who are so dark they don't even know it. But, but in the midst of the depth of that great darkness, Isaiah now declares, there's a great light. We now see in light of the evident darkness personally and in the world, this gift, this child is really everything we need. Our help 
is in the Lord who truly is for us. The focus we come to now is we see that need. The focus is now, how do I understand the help of this promised gift? How does this help me understand God being for me? So let's look at how Isaiah, I think, shows us in this announcement of the birth of the Messiah, just how exactly God is for you. You want God to be for you? Listen to what he's shown you, how he is for you. The first thing to realize, let's not gloss over this. The first thing to realize is that he actually came to us in the first place. How do I know God's for me? He came to us. He didn't have to do that. He was not under no obligation to us. Friends, the incarnation was the beautiful first act that God showed he loved us that much that he came to us. How can I be confident that God is for me? He came to us. In addition, we see that he not only comes to us, but he fights for us. Look again at verses 4 and 5. Kind of a graphic, almost um, Star Wars kind of thing about this is what he's going to do to his enemies. <laughs> he's going to wipe them out. Those who are oppressing you, who are crushing you, who are coming at you, he's going to fight for you. He removes the rod of the oppressor. He basically destroys our enemies. He personally takes on anyone opposed to us. And he guarantees a victory for us because he alone fights for us. Isn't that helpful? <laughs> to believe that God says, if you are my child, I will, I will remove heaven and hell to, to protect you. I will fight for you because you are mine. The battle, the scripture says, the battle belongs to the Lord. <clears throat> That's my God. He is fighting for me. And then he goes on to describe just exactly how this help would come, doesn't he? Look again at verse 6. You're so familiar with it. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. Wow. He's telling you how he's coming. He has come and he's telling you how he's come he would come by way of a newborn child, and in particular, a son. And he even makes a richness for all of those who understand the history of God's promised Messiah through the line of David, that some would come through, through David, and that son would be the final king to deliver his people and reign forever. And I think it's a rich picture that, that Isaiah paints here. He gives him names, doesn't he? Here's what this child's name's going to be. Here's some ideas. He's going to be a wonderful counselor. He's going to be a mighty God. He's going to be an everlasting father. He's going to be a prince of peace. That pretty much covers it all, doesn't it? A mighty counselor. How can I know? A mighty God. A father who never leaves me. A prince of peace. That's very helpful. That 
almost assures me he really is for me. But friends, it gets even better. It gets even better. The Lord puts his guarantee or his seal on it in the last phrase. Did you catch that? He promises all these things and then he says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. I'm not making promises I can't keep. I guarantee the zeal of Almighty God will do this. Who can get in my way? I'm going to make this happen. John Calvin, when he looked at this passage, he wrote this about what it meant for the zeal of the Lord. He says this, quote, God is inflamed with an uncommon and extraordinary desire to promote the salvation of the church. He will be all on flame with an amazing love for believers and an anxiety about their salvation. He is obsessed with making this truly come about. By coming to us personally, God was setting into motion, I think, the final work of his salvation and love for his people. He himself, he himself would be our redeemer, our king, and our savior. He would not wait for us, but he would take the first step of taking on our enemies without and our sin within. I hope you see that that culmination of our salvation, the the confidence that God is for us and his love would take place. How would that be solidified even more powerfully? Look at the cross. The son born as Emmanuel would become the lamb of God who would be slain for his people to die for us and for our sins. He would then defeat the final enemy, Satan, and death itself. The final passage we looked at, remember, in Romans 8. It's a powerful, assuring reminder. It captures even further the fact that our God in Christ is truly for us. Here again, this culmination. I hope you heard this phrase. What then shall we say to these things? If God is what? If he is for us, who can stand against us? Do you understand that? That this baby that we celebrate died on a cross, rose again from the dead and covered your sins, and now, now God can say, if I am for you, it doesn't matter. Nobody can be against you because I am for you. How do I know he is for me? Friends, look closely again at the son who was given and believe in him alone. If you go on and read the rest of chapter 8, you will see that the apostle, he is desperately trying to get believers to understand just how much God is for them. In many ways, he's saying the battle is over. The battle of being right with God and dealing with the guilt of sin has been won. 
And it's been won not by our good intentions or our remorse or our tears. It has been done by the death and resurrection of our King, who will always and forever be for us. The zeal of the Lord accomplished that. Well, what do we do with this as we seek again to get the most out of this Advent season? Friends, I think I have to remind you what you already know. The, the struggles of life are real, aren't they? And Christmas, for many, it really is a sad reminder of what they don't have. The world tries to put on a good face, but it doesn't take much to see how broken life really is. The need and the pain is real, but there's a deeper need that we must also be aware of. The need to see that Though the world may seem to be against us, Almighty God is for us. Christmas really is a good time to ask the ultimate question, isn't it? And that question is simply this. Have you truly received this gift? Do you understand when you opened it up? Do you understand it? Do you appreciate it? Do you see that it's for you? Don't just enjoy its trappings, but make it yours. This life-changing gift truly is for you. Why? Why? How do I know that? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Fellow Christians, I beg you, I beg you, look again at the gift he has given you and ask him to help you understand and appreciate even more now the son who is given and those of us who truly have received this precious gift, my prayer is this. May God this Christmas remind us even more clearly, even more clearly, how much he loves us and is for us. And may others see how much he loves us as we live for him who died for us. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you did not wait. You came to us and you broke through this broken world. And you gave us hope. You gave us light. You gave us salvation. Oh, God, let this Advent season not just be another Christmas we put in the books, but it would be it by your spirit, a renewed and powerful reminder that our God is for us. And has loved us so much that he gave his most precious gift for us. Bless us with that knowledge. Even now, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.